For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, man. Wow. 101 miles per hour. And McCutcheon, understandably so, upset. You're listening to Rum Bunter Radio. It's February. Puxatani Phil, he's got an early spring coming for us. And hey, spring training, pitchers and catchers are coming in less than a week as we record here. Getting your weekend started off. This is Rum Bunter Radio. Marty Leap, Trey Entity back with you here to break down the most recent happenings of the offseason. Talk about, um, you know, what we expect the rest of the way here before the Pirates. Pirate City gets fired up in Bradenton. Within the next few weeks, uh, some additions. Since last time we recorded some moves that have set up the Pirates' bullpen, have uh, brought familiar names to Pittsburgh. Aroldis Chapman, you heard the audio there to start our episode tonight. Um, you know, back and forth that occurred in 2012 uh, between Pirates superstar Andrew McCutcheon and Aroldis Chapman, now a Pittsburgh Pirate as well. That spilled uh, spilled out through the rest, the rest of the series in Cincinnati and um you know, played into what is such a great rivalry between the Reds and the Pirates and an important season there in 2012. But now in 2024, can you believe that, Marty? 12 years after that, Aroldis Chapman is a Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, we're going to get to that tonight, of course. Talk about the addition of Chapman. Talk about what it means to this bullpen. What this bullpen is going to look like in general, along with the starting arms as well. And what we could expect to see before opening day as far as pictures go uh but to get it started tonight guys as always follow us on twitter at rum hunter check us out rumpunder.com articles breaking down all this stuff of course the world is chapman uh the rotation the roster other moves uh other moves that didn't go down for the pirates uh, and what this 2024 season is going to look like marty how you doing man we were checking along through the offseason can you believe uh it's already february yeah, you know, it's nice. We're sitting here, but we record on the night of Thursday the 8th. Pitchers and catchers report to Bradenton next Wednesday, and with that, spring training will be underway. And, uh, yeah, you know, you you mentioned – I know we'll get into Chapman more later on, but you, you mentioned that it doesn't feel like it's been that long since that game in 2012. And I, I can still – I still remember we were coming home from being at training camp in Latrobe, sitting at Dino's in Latrobe um, – watching that game and watching him throw McCutcheon's head. And I remember the the TV camera cutting to Jeff Bannister and the pirate dugout just giving a death stare across the field to Cincinnati's dugout. And the following night, the game was on national TV. And you knew Hurdle was going to throw. It was Clinton Hurdle was going to have – I forget who started that game. I think it was James McDonald was going to have him throw at the first batter for the Reds. And Dusty Baker and just a, a genius move – First pitch of the game, drills Josh Harrison, benches get worn, hurdle comes out, he goes ballistic. Later in that game, 
Jared Hughes hits somebody in the foot by accident. Bench is cleared. Hughes got like a seven game suspension or something, but uh, yeah, no, it was wild. And it's just, it's again, I know we'll get into Chapman more later, but still it's, I never in a million years thought I'd see Rolls Chapman in a Pirates jersey. Um, there, there was a there was a point in time where most Pirate fans probably would have wished death upon a Rolls Chapman, and uh, now here we are with a Rolls Chapman as a Pirate. You know, it's just wild. The Pirates and Reds since the seventies have always hated each other. It hasn't mattered if both teams are good, both teams stunk. One was good and one stunk. They're they're it's one of the biggest rivalries in baseball. It seems like at least once a year, there's going to be a benches clearing brawl between the two teams. And for a big chunk of the 2010s, when both teams were really, really good, a Rodgers Chapman was at the center of that for the Reds, and now he's with the Pirates. And it's just, it's, it's still, it's still wild to think about. It's weird. It's really odd. Uh, and you know what? Let's just go ahead and start it there. I think we we're going to tuck it in the episode a little bit, but let's let's just talk about this move in general to start. And uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it's. Pirates Reds. It's uh, one of the more underrated rivalries in baseball, but it is such a great rivalry. And that 2012 season fueled some of the more recent memories in the rivalry. Um, you know, since then, of course, some amazing brawls, the daytime brawl, the Amir Garrett uh, incident <laughs> as well. Uh, but, you know, you look back to the 2012, it was a, a turning point for the Pirates. I mean, we were talking about it right before the episode started. That was the first season that you really felt like, okay, this is a competitive winning baseball team. I mean, this is, you know, Andrew McCutcheon's first year being a true superstar. This is a team that is ready to compete, Um, you know, a season that fell apart eventually, but a season that set the foundation for what was to come there in the next few years. But the Reds, they were the team in the way of the Pirates that year. And Aroldis Chapman, one of several key players on that Reds team, Um, you know, in a personal, uh, I think, back and forth there as well. And now, 2024, he's a Pittsburgh Pirate. I mean, you said it, Marty. This is a move that I don't think anybody ever really saw, pictured. Um, I don't think it's going to feel right, even after we see him in a Pirates uniform playing in games. But, you know, let's talk logistics. I don't know if that's the right word, but on paper, what does this mean for the Pirates' bullpen? Is this an Aroldis Chapman that is still able, in your mind, to contribute to um, you know, a winning baseball team, or at least personally can contribute at a high level? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he still contributed at a high level. He's coming off a really good year last year between Kansas City and Texas. And you just look at his career numbers, he, he's never really had a poor year. You know, he's had some ups and downs, as you would expect from any pitchers they get older. But the guy last year is still consistently hitting 100 miles an hour with that fastball. Um, he is still one of the filthiest pitchers in baseball of a bullpen. Honestly, probably one of the filthiest relievers of all time. And you look at the construction of this bullpen, and this is something we had talked about on here earlier in the offseason, where even before they added a role Chapman, you were looking at this being potentially one of the best bullpens in the National League. You had David Bednar in the back end. You had guys like Carmen Majinski and Colin Holderman and Dowie Moretta and Ryan Barucki, who did a lot of really good things last year. Um <clears throat> excuse me, who you're expecting to probably at least half of them take another step this year. And, you know, now you throw Chapman in there and that, that one, two punch of Chapman and Bednar is going to be about as good as any in baseball. And I don't know, you know, you look at the rest of the bullpen, you've got those two at the back end in middle relief again with Moretta, Majinski, Horderman, Barucki, Jose Hernandez showed some good things last year. Um, you, you're in pretty good shape. Now I, and this is, we've seen this be a winning recipe before, right? 
in 2013, a big reason they won 95 games and won to the postseason was that bullpen. Um, 2015, a big reason why they won 98 games, and in my opinion, were the best team in baseball and I think would have won the World Series had they gotten to a playoff series was that bullpen. Um, you you can win a lot of baseball games with a lights-out bullpen. Now, obviously, the starting rotation continues to be a major question mark. I don't know how many leads – this rotation is going to give to that bullpen. But with what this bullpen could be, the Pirates could be, <clears throat> excuse me, and this is where I don't blame Ben Charrington for going this route either with, with the state of that rotation. I don't blame Charrington for going the route of let's make this a dominant shutdown pen. I think a lot of nights the Pirates are going to be capable of playing a six-inning game, a five-inning game, and let the bullpen do their thing. And when you're able to play a six-inning game a lot of nights, you don't need your starters to consistently be going deep. Right, it, it potentially sets up a scenario where, as long as Mitch Keller is consistently giving you six, seven innings every time he takes the ball, and whatever happens with those other four, as long as it's not a complete disaster, you could at least have a chance with this bullpen. Because, like I said, I think this bullpen can be very good. I think it could be in the discussion for being the best in the National League if we see everybody pitch to their potential. Um, and I, I, <clears throat> I again, I think they can play. A lot of six-inning type games, the question is going to be, can you get this rotation to hand the bullpen the lead consistently in the sixth, seventh inning? Because if they do, I I, I don't think this bullpen is going to blow many games. I think most times when they're handed the lead, they're going to close it out and they're going to win you the game because this is a really good group. But it just like like most things in baseball, it comes down to your starting pitching, right? You're only as good as your next day starter. And after Mitch Keller, this starting rotation is just a, just one major question mark after another. It's abysmal uh, for a lot of reasons. And like you said, I mean, there's just a lot of question marks with this rotation. But this is a good bullpen, Marty. I mean, I don't I think it's objective at this point. I think a lot of teams that are looking to be competitive this year that would consider themselves competitors would trade with the Pirates to get this bullpen. Um, it is certainly the highlight of the team. And isn't that so weird? I mean, you look back. 365 days ago, we're sitting here, we're probably recording a similar episode to the one we are now with the timeline, at least, um, you know, saying, well, hey, the bullpen is the one area that you circle and you say, eh, it's probably the most question marks. You know, this is going to be a really dicey bullpen, um, you know, and now a year later, you feel really good about this bullpen, which, you know, it kind of just makes you wonder why. I mean, why do you think this was the move that they made? Starting pitching is obviously a huge question mark. And I think even before acquiring a role as Chapman, you feel pretty good about this bullpen. Why was this the move, in your opinion? Like I said earlier, I think if you're, if you're looking at your roster and you've got questions about starting pitching and you have questions about your ability to spend money in the starting pitching market, which I, I that I don't know because, man, they just went out and paid $10.5 million for Rollers Chapman. $10.5 million wasn't going to get you that starter you wanted. The 14 or 15 million was going to, which I have no doubts they could afford. I think there are other reasons here why they're struggling to get starting pitching, and that's beside the point. But I, I think Ben Charrington looked at this roster, and like I said, he's like, you know what? Our rotation is going to struggle, but if we build a lights out bullpen, you know, you add Chapman, where, okay, Bednar is going to lock down the ninth, Chapman now locks down the eighth. That allows you in innings five, six, seven between Barucki. And Hernandez, your lefties, between Dowry Moretta and Colin Holderman and Carmen Majinski to mix and match a lot more, to get more creative, to, hey, you know what? It's only the fifth inning and our starters on the ropes. 
we're gonna throw and we, you know, the, the opposing teams get runners on the corners and one out, and we got a run run lead. We're gonna throw Dowry Moretta out there, let him unleash that slider, get a couple strikeouts, get out of this mess because we've got the bullpen depth behind him that we don't have to be sitting there wondering, oh, hell, we got to the eighth inning and we don't have him available now. You know, I, I think all of that's a big factor. I think Ben Charrington looked at this team and, and with the current state of things and the fact they haven't added more to the starting rotation, said to himself, what can we do to best position ourselves to win baseball games in 2024? And I think the, the conclusion he came to was, let's build a lights-out dominant bullpen where we have the eighth and ninth inning locked down between two perennial all-star type guys, two guys who've been dominant at points of their career and allow us to get super creative in innings five, six, seven with how Derek Shelton manages this bullpen. I think that's what they're going for here. Will it work? I have no idea. Um, I also have a lot of questions about their ability to score runs, but again, I think most leads you hand this bullpen are going to get closed out. And it's just going to be a matter of how many leads can you give to this bullpen after five or six innings? Because I, again, I'm not to repeat myself, but I think they're going to close most of those out with how good and how deep and how talented this group is. But it's going to be on their starting rotation. It's going to be on the starting lineup to consistently give the bullpen a lead. Because if they can consistently give the bullpen a lead, I think this team's capable of, you know, making some noise and, improving on their win total from last year. That's, I think, the biggest thing. You know, what can they do to improve on the win total from last year? And, you know, you look back to that stretch, 2012 through 2015 and on, um, you know, the bullpen was the highlight, at least at the beginning of it and at times throughout the entire thing. The lineup was excellent. The starting rotation was probably, you know, I think both of those areas you might consider better than where it is now. But the bullpen was the highlight, so... Uh, I guess you hope now with this move, with the way that they set this up, it's it's comforting to know at least you have a very solid bullpen. Um, but, you know, the the Picota projections came out earlier this week. Posted about it on our, our Twitter as well. Um, it's fun to kind of see everybody's reaction to this. And you made a good point before the episode, Marty. Something I didn't realize. These projections are based off of just what happened last year. I think they had the Pirates at 5th in the Central. Um, I think 73 wins is what I saw in there. Expand a little bit more, Marty. Could you just kind of explain what goes into these projections and how people need to feel about, you know, where the Pirates ended up uh, on this year's list? Yeah, the the Pagoda projections from Baseball Prospectus are, uh, projects the Pirates to go 73 and 89 and finish last in the National League Central. And I, I mean, I'll be the first person to tell you, if they go 73 and 89 and they finish last in the Central, I won't be the least bit surprised. You know, if, if you were forcing me to predict today, if I think they're more likely to finish one through four or finish last, I may still lean. I think they're more likely to finish last. But um, the, the big thing with Pakoda is they don't – it doesn't it's, – it's hard for the way they run it to take into consideration young players taking a big step. And you look at 2024, and if they're going to take a step as a team – it's going to come on the back of young players taking a step. It's going to be Luever Paguero locking down second base, taking a step. It's going to be Henry Davis showing why he was drafted number one overall. Excuse me, and his bat taking a big step. It's going to be one or two of these young starting pitchers making a leap. Um, 
And again, the, the young starting pitchers, I think that also somewhat factors into the bullpen situation where I, I, I don't, I wouldn't do this. I, I don't think this is the right way to do it, but I wonder if part of Ben Sheridan's thought is, Hey, we get to June, we get JT Brubaker back. We, we can get Mike Burroughs back. We could Paul Skeens up here, get Jared Jones up here. So maybe we can overtax the bullpen a little bit more the first two months of the season. And then at that point we get more innings out of our starters, but I, I that's, doesn't even do with projections. That's just one more point I want to make on the bullpen of the starting rotation. But yeah, the projections, they don't really take into consideration young guys taking a step. Um, and if you're the Pirates, you need some of these young guys to take a step. Because if, if none of them take a step, or if only one or two of them take a step, uh, then you're going to be in a really bad spot at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, am I going to be surprised they finished last in the National League Central? Absolutely not. I've said all offseason, I haven't changed that to this point. I still think they're the least talented roster top to bottom in the division, um, largely because I think they have the worst starting rotation in the division. Even with Milwaukee trading Corbin Burns, I still think they have the worst rotation in the division. Um, so I'm not going to be surprised if they finish last in the division, but I also don't think it should be seen as you know gospel that Pakota is projecting to finish last in the division. And they project them at 73 wins. And even though I think the Pirates would finish last, I do think they'll win more than 73 games. I think this is going to be a division that top to bottom is going to be extremely mediocre. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Pirates finish last place and are within 10 games of first place or whoever finishes last, if they're within 10 games of first. I think it's one of those kind of divisions. I think it could be a division where you have five teams in that like 76, 77 to like 87, 88 win range. I think that's just the way this division sets up this year. So again, will the Pirates finish last in the National League Central? It wouldn't surprise me. But at the same time, I do think they're going to win more than 73 games, which Pakota projected, project, which Pakota projected, excuse me, for them. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, how seriously do you take some of these projections? Um, it's mathematics. I think they're factoring certain things that are, you know, with context and a little bit more subjective. But overall, it is a pretty objective metric-based uh, system there. But, um, yeah, I mean, 73 wins in 2024 uh, projected to finish last. Not where you want to be, of course, entering the season, but, um, you know, it's something we covered at nausea in the last few episodes about why they're here, um, you know, and, and why that this has maybe gone a little bit differently than expected, but this is where they are. Uh, and this is a team that, you know, does have a solid bullpen, doesn't have as many starters. I think what you said though, Marty is, is key. And I think it's most certainly realistic. Um, you know, he's been Sherrington is probably thinking, well, Hey, we have talent on the way, you know, we have pitchers that, um, are hopefully going to get up and are going to be healthy by mid-June at least. And by the middle of the summer, we can have a formidable rotation to go along with our bullpen and our lineup that's coming along as well. And of course, injuries play a huge factor into what this season could have been. Johan Oviedo, let's say he's a part of this rotation, you feel infinitely better. Uh, and let's say Ronzi Contreras doesn't fall apart last year. You probably feel better about that. Ronzi is somebody that we talked about the other day, just in our group message um, you know, this is huge. This is going to be everything, I think, for this rotation. Obviously, for Anzi as well. I believe out of options, uh, if he were to start on the opening day roster, um, let's talk about what you expect a little bit, Marty, with on paper what this roster is going to be. I think everybody kind of sent in what they were projecting uh, the other day. But, um, you know, do you expect a guy like Ronzi to be a part of the rotation to start the season? 
Yeah, I definitely think Ronzi Contreras on this roster to start the season. I think it has to be in the rotation. Like you said, you're right. He's out of options. He's out of minor league options. And even with the struggles last year, you're not going to give up on him. His stuff when he's on is too good. You're not going to give up on Ronzi Contreras yet. Um, so I, I fully anticipate him being on the opening day roster. I think he's probably in the starting rotation. And, you know, he, he could be a real wild card for this team. If we get the Ronzi Contreras we saw from the time he debuted in September of 2021 through April of last year, that really changes the outlook for this starting rotation. Um, and, and I do, excuse me, I do think last year a lack of and loss of confidence was a big issue for him. So maybe just, you know, pressing reset and getting a fresh year can help him with that. I don't know, but I expect Contreras to be on the opening day roster, excuse me. Um, and I expect him to be in the rotation. You know, I, I had my latest during the off season. Once we hit January, the first of each month, I, I give my uh, latest roster projections of our opening day roster projections of what I think it's going to look like. And, you know, I, I did that at the start of this month, the start of February, and I had Contreras in the rotation. Um, I mean, take it for what it's worth, but what I would project as of now is Henry Davis and Jason DeLay as your catchers. Key Brian Hayes a third. Oh, no, Cruz obviously it's short. I think Louis over Paguero probably goes into spring training as the, as the front runner for second base. We get Rowdy Telez and Connor Joe platooning at first. Um, the outfield, Brian Reynolds is going to be in left unless they add somebody. Jack Sawinski is going to be in center. I would love to add a center fielder and let Sawinski platoon in right. I don't think that's going to happen. So I guess Reynolds in left, Sawinski in center. I, I think you're you're going to see with right field. I, I think you probably see is unexciting as this is. You probably see Billy McKinnon, who they traded for in the offseason, start against righties. And then against lefties, maybe some days it's Edward Oliveri's, um, or I think Edward Oliveri's probably always going to play against lefties because he, he showed some good things with Kansas City. Probably so. And then I think with Andrew McCutcheon, again, McCutcheon's going to play every day, whether it's DH, him, but McCutcheon gets some starts and right and right against righties. I don't know. Um, and then for the rotation, obviously Mitch Keller, um, Marco Gonzalez and and Martin Perez, your three who locked in. I think after them, you probably see Ronzi Contreras and Quinn Priester fill that out. And then with the bullpen, obviously Bednar and Chapman at the back end, Majinski, Holderman, Moretta, and Ryan Baraki is kind of your key guys in middle relief, Jose Hernandez. And then another pitcher is out of options that this front office tried to acquire multiple times, but they finally did. So I don't think they're going to give up on him yet. And he also pitched pretty well in relief last year's Bailey Falter, who I think winds up in the bullpen as a long man. I think you probably see Jared Triolo as your as your utility guy. I mean, I'm sure there's an argument to be made for Triolo to start at second base over uh Paguero, but I think Triolo A is better suited for the utility role because he can play third, he can play short, he can play second, he can play first. Um, I also know this front office continues to be extremely high on the over Paguero. And, it, you know, and Triolo's numbers last year were good, but he had a batting average and balls in play of almost 400 in the month of September when he was really hot. It was well over 400. He's due for some regression. I think he's better served in that utility role. But, uh, 
yeah, I think you're probably barring any additions between now and the start of the season, which I'm not going to roll out because I'm not going to be surprised if they find a way to add starting pitching in some fashion yet. Um, but with what they currently have, that's what I would expect. Roughly what I would expect for this for this opening day or opening day roster to look like. What about Luis Ortiz, Marty? I know I think it might have been your January rotation. Uh, I, I I think Ortiz probably starts the year at AAA. Um, that last rotation spot to me probably comes down to him and Priester. Um, like I said, with with him being out of options and with the Pirates. They tried to acquire him at the trade deadline in 2022, finally got him to the trade deadline last year, and he pitched well in relief. Um, with those factors, I think Bailey Falter makes this team, which probably pushes pushes Ortiz to the AAA rotation to start the year. Um, but obviously you're going to see him at some point. You, you can never have enough starting pitching. Um, so Ortiz will see the major at some point. But I think he starts your AAA. I mean, low-key, that, that, that AAA rotation could be interesting to watch the year. Watch to begin the year, excuse me, Luis Ortiz. You're going to have Jared Jones there. Does Paul Skeens maybe start a triple A? I don't know. If it's a double A, but um, Willie Peralta, who they brought in as a minor league free agent last week, who has done some good things in the majors, probably will start during that triple A rotation. That triple A rotation could be interesting to watch start the year. I think um, there, there's the potential for some pretty solid depth there. If, if these young guys can pitch well, um, Brent Honeywell, another guy who has just never been able to stay healthy. They brought in a minor league deal. That is intriguing to me, but um, yeah, I think Luis Ortiz probably starts the year triple a probably, you could say it's a coin flip for the last spot between him and, and Priester. Um, now I will say if Ortiz comes to spring training and we see the stuff we saw in September of 2022 and not the stuff we saw last year, then I would probably slide him in there. But, as of now, I think it's a coin flip between him and Priester, and I would go Priester. And I think part of the reason I lean Priester is I, I think if you're the Pirates, you're it, kind of more in let's see what we've got mode in Priester. I think Priester, and this is something we talked about a lot last year. Unfortunately, he's just a guy who never really developed as you as you hoped. Um, his stuff seems like it's kind of maxed out at this point. So it's kind of time to, you know what, we got to throw against the wall and see if it sticks. As opposed to Ortiz, where I think you have the belief there's still some more room for growth there. You've seen some really, really good stuff from him. So you're going to be, you're more willing to send him to AAA to work on things and try and get in that right space for a return to the majors. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's him over Ortiz. Excuse me, if it's Ortiz over Priester, but right now I would lean Priester for that reason. Yeah, you know, and who knows what happens this spring. Um, I don't know. I, I think Priester, you said it, Marty, it, it might be maxed out, but I think that uh, he's still young. I think Quinn Priester is the kind of guy that feels a little bit older than he is. Um, but, you know, there's a, a lot of reason for concern this past year. Um, so it is, you know, probably going to be make or break to start the season. He might uh, probably will get that fifth spot there to start it. Um, you know, we'll know a lot more even a month from now on where, on how things look, on um, where things look with uh, pitchers on this team. Of course, catcher has taken some twists and turns this offseason. Andy Rodriguez will not be uh, behind the plate for the Pirates. But Henry Davis, big opportunity here. Um, we thought there was a chance that Gary Sanchez might be a Pittsburgh Pirate. And the Pirates this offseason have done, um, you know, a lot of, well, hey, we're interested. Things seem to be, you know, how many... News reports do we send? How many headlines do we see of the Pirates are interested in this player? The Pirates might sign this player. It falls through. 
and uh, it doesn't happen. Gary Sanchez, a Milwaukee Brewer. Talk about this, this Marty, this, um, you know, another guy that the Pirates ended up not getting and how this is going to affect the Major League roster, what this means for catcher, that the Pirates are still... Um, you know. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're obviously going to have to lean on Henry Davis a good bit here to start behind the plate. Yeah, Gary Sanchez is a player the Pirates have been tied to for a few weeks. I would love to see him sign Sanchez. I mean, I think when people think of Gary Sanchez – He's always been and probably always will be a catcher if people think bat first, and I understand that. But in recent years, like low-key Gary Sanchez turned into a pretty good defensive catcher. And I think – Yeah, yeah, adding that would have been big. Adding any catcher that category would be big because the biggest thing is you don't know if Henry Davis is going to stick behind the dish. You really don't. And with the Andy Rodriguez injury, that has become one of the most important – like factors going into the season, in my opinion, is Davis's ability to stick behind the plate. Um, and if you bring in another catcher who is a proven major league quality guy, it helps a lot because Jason Delay still has minor league options. If you can bring in another guy to pair with Davis and then it turn option delay to triple A to start the year, and then also have Ollie Sanchez at triple A. If things don't work out with Davis behind the dish and you've got to move him back to right field or DH, um, that's a lot easier to do if Jason delays a triple-A and not your backup catcher because then you can – the other catcher who come, who came in can split time back there with delay. Um, but that that's off the table. I, I don't I don't foresee that happening. If you look at what's left on the free agent market, I have a hard time seeing them add anyone. So I'm assuming Davis and DeLay are your catching duo to go into the year. Um, I'll be curious to see if Jason DeLay continues to be the personal catcher of Mitch Keller or not like he was last year. Um, I hope not. I personally detest personal catchers, in my opinion. I I'm sorry, but if you are a major league starting pitcher, you need to find a way to work with the best catcher on your team. The catchers give the best chance of winning. Like it's just, it is what it is. Don't be like, soft. Yeah, but yeah, it just it's <laughs> if you're if you're that good of a pitcher, I should be able to catch you and it shouldn't matter. Like I'm I'm not I'm just I'm just saying, like if you're that good of a pitcher, it shouldn't matter who's back there catching for you. Um but anyway, I, I'm Smudge assuming leap. Yeah, yeah. Put, put, put my dog back there, she'll be good to go. But I'm assuming we'll see uh we'll see Davis in delay, but it would have been nice to add a Sanchez. It would have been nice to add another catcher. I know that is something throughout the offseason the Pirates were interested in. But, you know, we saw it with center field. They were interested in any center fielder, and it hasn't happened yet. They were interested in any more starting pitching. It hasn't happened yet. So and I know part it's, – it's a tough situation. Part of it is these guys – I know for a fact there have been multiple free agents the Pirates have had the highest offer on the table for, and they've chose to go elsewhere, um, rather it be because they don't trust the Pirates' player development, rather it be because they don't view the Pirates as being close to contending. <clears throat> And, you know, I you, you create that situation, you create that culture. That's all on you. You, you. No one else has created that except for the Pirates. But, um, yeah, it would have been nice to add another catcher to go with Davis. 
Um, but yeah, here we are where it's going to be, you know, Henry, it's time to sink or swim back there. And I hope he swims. I really do. Um, I think Henry Davis can be a very, very, very good major league hitter. Um, and we're probably about to find out a whole lot about his ability to be a major league catcher as well. Cause if he can't stick behind the dish and that really throws a massive wrench into a lot of things for this season. Yeah. I mean, it's sink or swim time, uh, for a lot of guys in this team, Henry Davis, of course, but you know, if you're going to call on a guy to be in that situation, a number one overall pick a guy that seemed not necessarily can't miss that, that draft had a certain strategy about it, but a guy that you felt really comfortable taking at one, one, uh, not to sidetrack too hard, Marty, but have we, did Sean Manaya did all that go down since the last time we recorded and that whole, uh, unraveling there? That's a good question. I feel like last time we recorded, we did talk about Manai. I think it was at, I don't know if he had signed yet, but I think we had discussed the fact that, uh, you know, we, we had heard from multiple people and it had been kind of reported by some that the pirates had the highest offer on the table for Manaya. Um, from my understanding, that was the case um, in terms of m- just pure money value. The pirates offered Sean Manaya more money than anybody else, but Manaya, um, a combination of not viewing the Pirates as an organization <laughs> that develops pitching well with him viewing the Pirates as not being close to contending is what led to him looking elsewhere and then eventually signing with the Mets. Um, from the people I've heard that from, I have no reasons to doubt that that is indeed true. But uh, yeah, that's – and again, people can say – what they want about, oh, you know, well, players got to give you a chance and this and that, but you create this culture, you create this culture, this environment of, you know, hey, pitchers come here and they struggle or, hey, you know, we're not close in here, regardless how we feel internally, externally, we don't appear close to contending, we don't appear close to competing for the postseason. That's on you. That's on you and nobody else. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably what cost them Shamanaya more than anything else. And Shamanaya slotted into this rotation look really nice right now. So, uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Without a doubt, it's frustrating. Yeah, pretty fucked up. Um, you know, the fact that these guys, you have players that would rather go to Flushing, New York, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, versus the shores of the Allegheny. But that's the decisions that they made because, like you said, Marty, that's a, a culture that this front office created. Uh, this front office not getting it done. Um, yet again, this time it's Gary Sanchez. Is there anything that this front office will do before the time that, uh, you know, they head back north to Pittsburgh to start the season? It's always interesting, too. I mean, we got Bradenton coming up. They make a big deal. I feel like it's a bigger and bigger deal every year when they load up the trucks. A lot more is going into that. And, uh, you know, a nod to the Pirates social media um, and, and obviously the truckloaders themselves for, um, you know, making that a big event and getting us revved up for the first time for baseball. But um, what else is left this offseason, Marty? As far as additions, you said probably not a catcher. Is there anything we can expect the Pirates to do when it comes to adding players to what is a, um, you know, we'll call it mediocre roster at the moment? Yeah, again, I don't know if anything comes of it, but I think they're going to continue to pursue starting pitching. I mean, I know it's not – I shouldn't say that. 
I was going to say it's not encouraging names. My, Michael Lorenzen is a name is out there that I think would be a really good fit. He knows the division well. Um, last year, I know he struggled down the stretch with the Phillies, but pitched extremely well through his first 22 or 23 starts of the year. Um, one name that I would not be interested in at this point in his career that the Pirates have been interested in is Noah Syndergaard. Um, we'll, we'll see. I think they're going to try and add starting pitching yet. I think they're going to, they would still be open is to that adding. It though? Yeah. I, I think at this point it kind of is. I mean, you have Domingo Herman out there, but Herman's going to be costlier and Herman comes with a lot of red flags and a lot of off the field issues. I mean, the dude's been, what well, I think he's been suspended more than once. There's domestic violence issues. There's the alcohol issues. There, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of issues there with Herman. Again, there, there, there's a reason that a pitcher with the stuff and the track record, Domingo Herman is still a free agent on February 8th. Um, so, and then obviously, I'm, I'm not even going to get into it in deep detail, but I will say, right, because it's going to come up, neither the Pittsburgh Pirates nor any other baseball team are going to sign Trevor Bauer. It's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. <laughs> like, the guy is a piece of garbage. It's, it's not going to happen no matter what. I can throw um, baseball. It, I, to an extent, I mean, if you look at his number, if you we we had an in-depth article on this on the site recently. If you look at what he did pitching in Japan last year in a league that is equivalent to AAA baseball, and try to like equate those numbers with the majors, they were nothing special. And yeah. with the amount of off-the-field issues, I mean, his. Legal issues aside, he's known for being a terrible teammate. I mean, Cleveland traded him in the middle of a pennant race when he was at yeah. the top of the rotation because they wouldn't deal with him anymore. Um, so the fact that you know all, all the rape stuff is even without all of that, there there's a lot of issues there. But I thought you were talking I, about the drone incident. Yeah, <laughs> but um I, I I don't know. I think they're going to continue to pursue starting pitching, maybe in the trade market. I, I just don't see it happening. I think they're going to continue to pursue center field help. To me, my, Michael Taylor just it makes so much sense. I don't under they've been tied to him. I don't understand not pursuing that further. Um, he would immensely improve the center field defense. It would allow you to platoon Jackson Winsky and Edward Olivares in right field which improves right field some immensely. I mean, Jack Swinski is nothing special defensively in center field, but is a plus defender in right. Um, to me, Taylor makes so much sense. I, I would love to see that happen, but I certainly don't expect it. So, I mean, I, I think what you're looking at right now at the roster is probably pretty close to what you're going to see on opening day. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a team that's going to rely a lot on young guys. You're going to need, Leover Pagueros and Henry Davis is the world to take a step. You're going to need Ronzi Contreras to figure out how to pitch again. You're going to need when they get here the Paul Skeens and the Jared Joneses of the world um, to pitch well. Because if those things don't occur, you're going to be looking at yet another losing season. You're going to be looking at yet another year without playoff baseball. And you know, ba based off conversations I've had with people, I do think if if they don't have a winning record this year. Especially if they're significant, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine games below 500 and young guys don't take a step. 
I think you're going to um, the, the possibility of seeing some sweeping changes are there. I mean, you you would definitely see changes on the coaching staff if that happens, and I wouldn't roll out changes within the front office if that happens either. Because there, it's year five of this. You know, if 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 you're below 500, but you're within striking distance, and come September, you're looking at this roster and saying, "All right, hey, this is a better roster than opening day." Because young guys came along, they took some lumps, but they're doing well. They've clearly made strides. We're in a position to make some noise in 2025. You can live with that. You you can I can you can live with that, right? If you get to the end of the year and you're below 500, but man, Skeens is pitching his ass off, and Jared Jones is in this rotation looking really well, and Henry Davis is stuck behind the dish and has taken that step as a hitter, and Brian Reynolds and Key Brian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz are doing what we expect. All of a sudden, like, you know, we got a pretty good core for 2025. Like, yeah, we're below 500, but guys made strides. Guys made progress. There's light at the end of this tunnel. Um, if that doesn't happen, I think we see a lot of changes in the offseason. And I think a lot of people within this organization know that, that this is a very important season. So I will be very curious to see how it shakes out. I'll be curious to see if that impacts any raw potential roster additions between now and opening day. Cause I'm, again, like I said, Michael Taylor makes a lot of sense to me trying to swing a trade with Miami for starting pitching help makes a lot of sense to me because you match up well on what with the, the pitching they have and what your needs are. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but uh, I, I, I'm not going to hold my breath expecting anything. You know, Andrew McCutcheon resigned what well over a month ago. Remember when he resigned, the, the rumor was they were trying to get that done because they had the big news coming that was going to upstage Andrew McCutcheon signing. And, well, here we are still waiting. So if there's one thing that uh, 33 years on this planet has taught me, it's to not expect – it's not it's not to expect much from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. The big news. Yeah, we're still waiting on it. Um, the vertical mini bridge reopened. That might have been it. Um, we'll figure that out. But – uh, good that they got that deal done. They haven't done, um, you know, a whole bunch else. I don't know if it's crazy to say it, Marty, but you said sweeping changes are likely if things don't go well this year. Is it crazy to think that they probably should have already happened? I mean, we are in 2024. We got Bacon fucking Burt out here tweeting about how bad things are right now. Bacon Burt. I mean, anyone who follows us on Twitter knows my feelings on this. Um I would have fired Ben Charrington last year. Um, I, I maybe, maybe it was probably an overreaction. My part to say you have fired in season, but I would have fired him after the year. Um, I don't think Ben Charrington is doing a good job as general manager. Um, and I think the coaching staff in turn probably should go. Now I say that with the caveat that I think Derek Shelton in terms of leadership, in terms of the culture he creates is a tremendous manager there's a reason that when he got the Pirates job, there were multiple teams who were interested in Derek Shelton. Um, I think Derek Shelton can be a really good manager if he has a, you know, fucking talented roster to work with. So, but I, I would have fired Ben Charrington after last season. So no, I don't, I don't think that's like out there or an overreaction to say changes have already happened. Cause I don't, I don't think Ben Charrington is doing a good job as general manager of the Pirates. It's not good. Um, you know, everything all pro sports leagues work differently. All pro sports front offices work differently. The Toronto Raptors, they fired their general manager after 
they made an Eastern Conference final. The next year, they won the NBA championship. Um, I don't think that's how it works in baseball. Uh, but this is a problem. And this year, I think probably should bring sweeping changes if it's not a drastic change. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I think I, I probably would have made a, a move there as well. Um, this is a, a different market, though. This is a different team heading into 2024. Uh, just a few weeks left of the, the true offseason, Marty. Let's reflect a little bit. We don't talk about the nature of what the offseason is itself enough. We talk so much about ball, you know, about these moves that go down. What's your favorite part of the offseason when the Pirates aren't on TV to make you miserable and, uh, you know, force you to watch losing baseball? I don't know. It's a lot of times I would tell you my favorite part of the off season is the old, you know, hope, hope springs eternal or whatever, but I don't have a whole lot of the hope springing in me right now, but um, no, I, I, I think for this off season, it's, it's the, the continued reunions with Andrew McCutcheon, you know, just, I've said it before. There's no reason that this shouldn't be the way we've seen in the past with, you know, the, the, Houston Astros and Roger Clemens, where as long as you want to keep coming back, um, keep coming back. You know, it's there's no reason not to. Um, I will say this offseason also, I, I don't, it, it's, it's weird, again, on a lot of fronts for a lot of reasons between the history and, he himself has a ton of off the field issues, but seeing a role as Chapman as a pirate is pretty wild to me still. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Ho- hopefully, the hopefully the season itself will carry uh, a lot more, a lot more memories and a lot more fun than the off season has had. It's been a weird off season. Um, you know, we uh, turning to a leap year. You know, a new year. We have the Olympics. We have the election. We have. Um, you know, what I think is a, a year of Pirates baseball that it's kind of hard to have an expectation because, you know, we haven't had a lot of offseason progression. There's been a weird timeline that you really can't say is linear, you know, that this front office has been a part of. And, you know, I think we find ourselves um, in a time where you just almost feel defeated with such a quiet offseason. Um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds here. But, you know, at the same time, this division gives you a lot of opportunity to take advantage Last year, the search of the year, uh, I think it's something to get excited about. So maybe something like that can go down here again. They carry that. But it's going to take, um, you know, I, I think the perfect storm when it comes to starting pitching. You're going to have to have guys step up. You're going to have to have guys like Ronzi Contreras completely change the way that they pitch. And, uh, you know, at least the results. And hopefully all of that means a few more wins than last season. Uh, Marty, our top of the trolley for this week. Let's go your top three favorite things about Pittsburgh. Well, we got the off season. I think, you know, maybe we highlight the city a little bit more. What are your favorite three things about the city of Pittsburgh? I could go on forever. My three favorite things about the city of Pittsburgh. Um, I just, first and foremost, it's tough to beat a summer day, just walking along the river rock, taking it all in on the North shore, people coming and going, the friendliness of people, um, you know, as you're walking behind the establishments on the North shore, bopping in and out, um, that's tough to beat. Um, the, the just quirkiness of our language, 
you know, I, I, I've met so many people. I have families not from around here and I use what is to me. And even to you, Trey, it may sound weird. Sometimes I use what is to me everyday language. When I say I'm going to go read something up whenever I'm dropping a yins in there. Um, whenever I'm constantly saying and at the end of sentences and doing it without even realizing I'm doing it. Um, you know, when I, one big one that I never even realized when I was an adult was Pittsburghese is a lot of people, if I say a Jagger Bush, they don't have the slightest freaking clue what I'm talking about. But our our quirkiness with Pittsburghese, with the language, I love it. It's and I mean everywhere has that. That's not unique to Pittsburgh, obviously, but it's part of one of the things that makes you know, like the country as a whole, so cool is no matter where you go, you have your own little language and that sort of stuff. Um, and then after that, I mean, it's tough to pick just three, but I can think of so many things. It's just the friendliness of the city and, you know, the, the way that the old adage that is so true that when you play Pittsburgh, you play the whole city in sports. It's, it's our obsession with putting French fries on everything. Um, there, there's so much there, but uh, you know, it's 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 seeing the interview on the local news with the random Yinzers with that Pittsburgh drawl when they're down on the south side and that, and just or people putting out parking chairs to claim their parking spots on the side of the street when they're going to shovel the snow, and it's tough to pick three. It really is. It's 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 cliche to say. I get it, but. As someone who has lived in this area my entire life, I love everything about it. I love the city of Pittsburgh. I love living in Western Pennsylvania. There's a reason that I've never lived anywhere but this area. There's a reason why I came back to my hometown to raise my family here. Um, yeah, I, I've never really lived anywhere else other than a couple years towards the center part of the state, now Tuna. I would never want to live anywhere else. I would never want to raise my kids anywhere else. Um yeah, to, to me, Pittsburgh truly is the greatest city on the planet. You know, when you when you drive in, when you come through the Squirrel Hill tunnels or coming through the Fort Pitt tunnels and you just see that skyline, man, it's it's the best. It really mm-hmm. is. Even as you're coming through Fort Pitt and you're trying to navigate what the hell lane you got to get in and when you got to get there and fast. Um, I love it. I love everything about the city, the bridges, the history. Point Park, just just everything is so great. And, you know, it's I, I can I truly consider myself lucky to have been born and raised here and to have spent my entire life living in the Pittsburgh area because there 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 is nowhere better than Pittsburgh. There really and truly isn't. It's one of a kind. I mean, it truly there, there's a special feel when you're in Pittsburgh. And, you know, you said it, Marty. I mean, there's different cultures everywhere. America is a, is a cool place because we're all kind of the same, but there's a lot of different regional feels and, and sayings and stuff like that. But it's weird because it's usually a region, you know, or a state or big, big parts of the country, but it's, it's distinct in a city when it comes to Pittsburgh, uh, which is so unique and, and so special. And, uh, you know, a lot of winning has gone on Throughout all the sports in Pittsburgh to go along with the amazing culture, the food, the arts, uh, everything that made Pittsburgh so great. And maybe recently there hasn't been a lot of winning on the baseball field in Pittsburgh. But hey, maybe that changes, uh, you know, and it starts with, um, you know, a, a wild tale that uh, is brewed here this spring training. One one thing I'll throw in there, too, and I, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this at first, but 
of just one of the things about Pittsburgh that's truly just great and unique. If you're a baby born in a hospital in the city of Pittsburgh, and you may not even know this, Trey, when they send you into the baby ward, like before you go back with your parents, every baby is draped in a terrible towel. Oh, I've seen this. I love it. It's honest to God. Anyone listening to this who does not live around here, it is the honest to God's truth. You are draped in a terrible towel before you are returned (laughs) to the room with your parents. Like it's just. (laughs) It's just those kinds of things where it's just, it's Pittsburgh through and through, you know, not to get off on a tangent here, but Please. I remember going, to, going to giant Eagle, or if you're, I don't, shouldn't even enunciate it. Cause if you're from here, like I am, it's giant Eagle. It's not giant Eagle. It is giant Eagle walking in there the day before the playoff game is the bills this year. And you walk in the front door and here we go. Steelers is blasting over the PA system on repeat. You know, I remember being in college, um, and for those who don't know, I went to the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown and being in the cafeteria while the Pirates are making that playoff run in 2013 and you have Beat'em Bucks playing on repeat in the cafeteria the day of game one of the division series against the Cardinals. You know, it, it's the way the city rallies around each other, rallies around their sports teams. It's just... There's so much great about again. I could go, I could do an entire podcast episode and then some about the things that are so great about Pittsburgh. But there's there, there truly is so much that is great about Pittsburgh and about our great city. And yeah, I, I could I could go on forever. Yeah. Wrap them in towels. It's uh it's special. It is no doubt special. And um, you know, it's I think it's really special even in losing times to to be a Pirates fan because of how amazing the city is how great the culture is how great the sports culture is in general i mean you really you can't find much like it um you know even in losing times you go to the coolest ballpark in america and you're surrounded by really passionate fans um so you know you hope that some winning is is to come along with it um because we know what it can be obviously when it is at its peak we know how much uh it means to the city when it is successful when it is uh you know headed in the right direction don't know if we can say that right now but um you know as we start a new season it's fun marty because there's always hope i mean this past year we expected things to change you know we were talking about it before we started recording we thought this past year 2023 would maybe resemble 2012 uh when we talk about timelines and you know where it kind of needed to be with this rebuild it didn't in the long run but you know you had that little window of excitement near the beginning of the season you know you had your first winning month since the rebuild had started and it felt like things were going in the right direction. So, uh, you know, when you start a new season, you have the opportunity for stuff like that to happen. You know, maybe, maybe just maybe things work out a little bit differently than we're expecting. Maybe there's another addition here before it's all said and done. And, um, you know, the team wins games from the jump can continue in a, in a winnable division. And, and who knows? Uh, I think there was what a 2.6% chance to make the playoffs on those projections that, uh, that just came out. So, uh, you get, know, get, get a, insert the Lloyd Christmas. So you're saying there's a chance, man. Zero one percent chance to win the World <laughs> Series, but there's a chance. There is a chance. Well, a great way to wrap it up here, Marty. And um, you know, as always, guys, we appreciate everybody listening to our podcast, checking out the website rumbunter.com, where you can find Marty's articles, our other host, Nick Caparoso, his articles there, and our fine staff of writers as well who cover this team that um you know, it's tough to cover. A lot of the times they covered so well throughout the off season, of course, throughout the season as well. 
Uh, and on Twitter, that is where you can sympathize, I think, with us, uh, with the city the most, at Ron Bunter. Uh, but Jens, have a great rest of the night. Have a great rest of the weekend. We will be back as spring training gets underway. But for Marty Lee, my name is Trey Andy. Have a great night, everybody. And let's go, Bucks. And let's root. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.